Today I'm featuring an episode from Seth Godin's podcast. Seth Godin is someone I actually do enjoy quite a bit, but I haven't actually featured any of his podcasts in any of the episodes I've done so far, so it's time I corrected that. And this one comes pretty timely in the sense that there is a general backlash against NFTs right now, and the ideas of digital scarcity and Web3 have really been experiencing some kind of pushback. I've always struggled to articulate why exactly the Web3 and DeFi environment doesn't rub me the right way, even though I have a really good background for it, both from finance and from tech. And I think this concept that we're magnifying small differences in order to create power for the people who are gatekeepers articulates why exactly I don't like it. Everywhere we look in our modern world, we are seeing the magnification of small differences. Just a couple points on the SAT determines whether or not someone gets into a famous college. That helps make a difference as to whether or not they got into a famous law school. Then, effort combined with luck determines whether they made law review or just missed it. Making law review helps them get a clerkship for a federal judge. Not making law review makes that really difficult. A clerkship for a federal judge is magnified into the fast track, and then maybe one day you end up on the Supreme Court, all because of a six-point difference on your SATs. Of course, it's not all because of this, but it is a magnification process, something that we've been doing for a long time to sort people out. Think about the movies. During the last decade or so, Hollywood released two movies a week to wide distribution, just a 100 movies a year. They pick such a small number of movies with tens of thousands in some level of development. They pick a hundred because they say, A, we need money to be able to make movies. B, we need money to promote the movies. And C, there aren't that many movie theaters. To go into wide release, we need to be in a lot of theaters and there aren't that many. So scarcity drives the fact that there is scarcity, scarce money, scarce ability to pay attention, scarce theaters to put the movies in. Even Netflix, which has an infinite number of theaters, only released 371 titles or episodes in 2019. 371 dwarfs the movie industry, but has nothing in common with the tens of thousands of screenplays that are just waiting to get picked. But, and you're probably ahead of me now, there are other areas in our culture in which humans venture in which there is no scarcity. Amazon doesn't want to tell us how many books there are on the Kindle, but there are more than 5 million of them. There are 1,700 new Kindle books published every single day. That's pretty much 100 every waking hour. Why don't they want to tell us how many books there are on the Kindle? Or think about how many acrylic paintings or poems are written every year. No one's even counting that, but there's got to be more than a billion. Does the fact that no one can stop you from writing a poem make it more likely that you will write a poem? So there's an interesting balance here between scarcity and value. Last year, 30,000 nurse practitioners graduated. 
nurse practitioners are capable of writing prescriptions and dealing directly with patients without a doctor. 30,000 nurse practitioners in the United States is about one in 10,000 numbers of people who need a nurse practitioner. That number is laughably small. The typical nurse practitioner sees three patients an hour and makes $110,000 a year. What would happen if we had enough nurse practitioners that nurse practitioners saw four patients an hour or five patients an hour and maybe made $100,000 a year instead? Or what if we went in the other direction and they only saw two patients an hour, giving them focused, dedicated time and made, I don't know, $80,000 a year? The point is we're not running out of patients, but we are out of nurse practitioners. So what is it that makes somebody want to make a movie, but makes them perhaps hesitate when no one stops them from making a Kindle book? Well, it's scarcity at some level in our culture that creates value. So now we go back to the gal cow, 10 million people who took a test all at once. In June of 2020, they didn't take the test because of the pandemic. But it's interesting to note that going forward, online education may make it so that there is no such thing as scarce spaces at a selective college, unless we want there to be. Let's think for a minute about the organizations that accredit higher education, ostensibly created to make sure that the quality was there. That's not really what they do. They enforce, for example, how many PhDs there are per student. But if the purpose of a college is to teach people, there's no evidence, zero, that PhDs are better at that than people who are simply good at teaching. Now, having a ratio of PhDs per student simply makes it harder to start and run a university. Lots of the things that are in place at an accrediting institution exist to limit the number of things that are getting accredited. How do they decide how many people will pass the bar exam when the lawyers take it in California? Well, it's not the absolute value of their score. It's how many lawyers are they prepared to make this year in California. It's well known that it's really hard to pass the bar in places like Hawaii, where lawyers would like to go and retire, but pretty easy to pass the bar in states that have a shortage of lawyers. Because the bar exam is not a measure of, are you good enough to be a lawyer? It's simply a barrier to make sure that there's scarcity so that people will value it, go on the journey, and want to be a lawyer in the first place. And so the long tail collides headfirst into the power law curve. The power law curve, otherwise known as Ziff's law, points out that the ones all the way to the left, the hits, they get a lot of attention. And way down at the other end of the curve, as Chris Anderson has pointed out, is the long tail. The long tail, when you add it up, is just as big as the short head, but the attention paid to every single individual on the long tail is small indeed. If you release a song on iTunes or Spotify, if you write a book on the Kindle, almost no one is going to read it. If your movie gets greenlit for wide release after the pandemic, far more people are going to see it because there's scarcity. There's an enforced short head 
just two movies a week. And so we have a choice to make as we create online learning, as we create more and more long tales. And the choice is, will we as humans seek to do poetry or acrylic painting or Kindle books, things where no one can stop us, or will we devote huge amounts of our time and energy into hoping for the magnification of small differences? Because there's a real problem with the magnification of small differences. And the problem is we waste potential. We waste potential because someone who's almost good enough to qualify for the Olympics doesn't, and then they don't develop. They don't get the coaching. They don't get all the other things that would have helped them get to the next level. We waste potential because at the age of two or three or four, we look at someone based on who their parents are, what their race is, where they grew up, and we don't give them the attention that they need to get to the next level. And so by the time the, quote, selective high school is looking for potential students to magnify their small differences, they're already one, two, three percent behind with no hope of catching up. And so to get specific, I don't think it's difficult for any of us to imagine that just five years from now, there's an automated series, artificially intelligence-driven, of courses, of learning, of education that exist online that anybody with internet access who wants to could put themselves through. And that it will be shown, I am certain, that going through this accredits you better than going to one of those other institutions. It makes you actually better at whatever thing we were just sorting for. That if you are willing to go through the grueling effort of using this process, you will come out at the other end knowing more than the hand-built process. And given that an online interaction scales to infinity, given that the shelves of the Kindle will never be filled, are we okay with that? Or are we more comfortable embracing the mythology of the magnification of small differences? One last practical thought on this. For years and years, Google used a mysterious algorithm to decide who would rank high in the Google results. And what we know is that you are a hundred times more likely to get clicked on if you're on the first page of Google results than if you're on the third page. Now, let's remember that for any valuable search, there's more than a thousand pages of results. So there's a thousand pages of results and almost every click goes to the first page. The people on the first page, the websites on the first page, might be what, 0.01% better than the websites that are on the fifth page? Better at what? Better by what metric? It's a mystery. They won't tell us. But what happens is the people who locked into the first page, whether through SEO or just good fortune, get more traffic. More traffic gets them more resources. More resources lets them invest more and more in whatever it took to get on that front page. And the process continues and continues until power accrues to both Google, because they get to dictate the algorithm, and the people who run those sites on the front page. What would have happened if instead of Google showing the front page to everybody, showed the first page to, I don't know, 10% of the people who visited any search, and the second page to 9%, and the third page to 8%? Do the math any way you want. They could have done this. They could have easily randomized and minimized the difference 
of small differences, but instead they decided to magnify them because it gave them power, because it made everyone pay attention to their mysterious algorithm. And so we're looking right now at a world torn between building more choke points, even though they are artificial, and embracing the long tail, even though it offers less in the way of scarcity and thus value. There isn't one obvious answer, but when we think about the nurse practitioners, it seems to me that what we ought to be defaulting to is amplifying potential. How do we find more and more people who can figure out how to make a living doing something that benefits our community and then strip away all the artificial barriers that keep that number small and instead say, what would happen if they were as plentiful as poems? What would happen if there were plenty of people doing health care or working on mental health in our community or helping with food supplies? Go down the list. We can do that if we figure out how to make the long tail attractive enough to get the right people to embrace it. Thanks for listening. This was quite a rant. We'll see you next time.